Well, a hearty welcome to all of you. And uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16. Some Bible students consider this to be one of the most challenging um, passages of Scripture. So we will see... um, how we do with it this morning. Luke chapter 16, and we're going to begin, we'll read the whole passage that we're looking at this morning, verses 1 through 13. Jesus is speaking. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful In the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, quite a passage this morning. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to earn a million dollars? How would you like to earn a million dollars? Can you imagine you, a millionaire? Well, maybe that's not enough for you. Can you imagine earning two million dollars? You, a millionaire, twice over. What would you do with all that money? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that the average American household will earn nearly $2 million in their lifetime. So you are a millionaire twice over. 
The only problem is you don't get it all at once. And that may not be such a problem, because I think many of us, if we had two million all at once, we would spend it all at once. And then we'd be poor. According to the uh, 2010 census statistics, um, the median household income is nearly 50,000. What that means is that half of the people in America, half of the households, earn less than 50,000 a year, and half earn more. So if you just dump them all together, we average about $50,000 per year as an American household. If you work 40 years, there's $2 million. $2 million. If you're average, you're a millionaire twice over. As I said, the problem is it's just doled out a few dollars at a time. And so we say, well, what can I possibly do with this meager amount that I have? But you know what? You are a manager of a very sizable fortune. You really are. You're a manager of a sizable sum of money. And although you have the freedom to use it any way you wish, it's really not yours. You're just a steward of God's resources. In fact, if you look at this parable, you're a steward of a certain rich man. You are a steward. So what's a steward? We don't talk about stewards too much today, although we do have some similarities. We say uh, we talk about stewards and stewardesses, right? We know that term. And these are people who either work on boats or work on uh, planes and they serve people. They make sure that their passengers are comfortable. You know, they make sure that you're seated, that you know how to put your uh, seat back and your tra- uh, tray in an upright position, and that you know how to uh, buckle your seatbelt. I don't know why they still do that, as if nobody's ever seen a seatbelt before, but they still do that. And uh, these are stewards. They, take, they make sure that they are giving comfort to their passengers. Um, they represent the company they work for. And on behalf of United Airlines or on behalf of the Princess Cruise Line or some other company. They are representing those companies to their passengers. But a steward in the Bible is a little different. It's more than somebody who just serves meals or fluffs pillows. A steward in the Bible is actually responsible for the entire wealth and the assets of of an owner. So you have a person who is a rich person, uh, a very wealthy a person who may own a household, may own land, may own crops, may own an orchard. He may own a lot of things. And he's just too busy to handle or manage it all himself. And so he hires somebody to actually come and live in his home. And he might be an absentee owner. He might move off somewhere else and, and be in another country even. But he leaves to this uh, steward his entire wealth, his entire, uh, all of his assets. And he says, here, you manage it for me. Now, the Bible says, in fact, the Lord said this to uh, his disciples, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. I think it was actually Paul who said that. But it was, it's required of a steward that one be found faithful. And so faithfulness is part of stewardship. The idea also, the Lord talks about in another parable, is that with stewards, it is expected of them that they make a profit. 
that this investment, this money, these assets that they have are there not just to consume, but to actually build up the fortune, to build up the assets, to make more money for the owner. That's the purpose of having or hiring the steward. So when a wealthy person hired a steward, they would come and live in the house of the master and they would manage all of the property and all of the finances of the owner. The steward, of course, would get free room and board. That was part of the, uh, the arrangement. They would get free room and board and they would get a sizable income themselves uh, for, for their stewardship. Now, in this story, there are four people who are mentioned. The first one is a certain rich man. Well, he's the master. He, we know that he's rich. Because it says that, a certain rich man. Um, He's rich. We see this because he also has a steward. So he's got more on his plate than he can handle himself and can easily afford the services of a steward. He has a large estate to manage. We also know from this passage that he has orchards because he has um, oil. And so we're not talking here about petroleum, Um, we're talking here about olive oil. They grew olives, they crushed the olives, and the oil was then sold uh, for a profit. So he had a large orchard. And he had fields that produced wheat. And so he he must have had a very, very large estate that needed uh, care. As I mentioned, it's, it's likely that this man did not live at the property, that he was an absentee owner, and that he would check in from time to time, or he would hear reports about how his... Uh, affairs were being conducted, how his uh, steward was doing. Secondly, there's a steward. As I said earlier, the one requirement that you want in a steward is that they're faithful, that they're doing their job, and that they're doing it well. But we know that this steward is a crook. Jesus said in verse 1, that news got back to the owner that this steward was wasting his goods. So here's the, here's the rich owner, and he gets a report when he's in a far country that, hey, you know the steward that you've got back at your home? He's wasting your goods. Really. And he checks it out. He finds that it's true. And he tells the steward, he gives the steward a pink slip and says, you're fired. It's an interesting thing here in this, um, in this verse that uh, the word wasting his goods is exactly the same word that is used in the previous chapter about the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He went to his father and he said, Father, give me my inheritance. I want what belongs to me. You're going to die someday. Why not just give it to me now? And his father gave it to him. Everything that, belonged, that was going to be his at his father's death. He said, here it is. It's yours. And it says that his son, when he gathered his things together, he went out and he wasted his goods in riotous living. Same word in chapter 15 that is used here in chapter 16. And so we can assume from that that the same thing applies here to this steward. That he not only had access and and was uh, handling the wealth of the owner, but he wasted these things probably in the same way as the prodigal son in riotous living. He lived for the here and now. He lived to eat and drink and be merry. He lived for personal pleasure or personal 
um, benefit. That was the, the unfaithful steward's philosophy. Finally, the third and fourth characters are debtors. So these are p- people that have purchased oil or purchased wheat from the landowner uh, from, through the steward, and uh, they have put it on credit. Okay? So they've taken possession of the goods, but they've put it on credit. Now, we, this is common in business today, too. Uh, we used to sell books, and churches would buy books from us, and we would send out the books, and they would have a 100 or a 1,000 books, and they would buy these on credit, meaning that we supplied the service, we supplied the goods, but eventually they had to pay for them. And usually the terms were something like net 30 or net 60. And that's a common business practice today that for 30 days or for 60 days, you're, you're, those books are yours. And you haven't had to pay anything for it. Interest-free. Businesses do it all the time today. But when 30 days comes up or 60, whatever the terms are, guess what? You owe the money and you need to pay. And so this was going on as, as a business practice, perfectly legitimate, perfectly good. Uh, they had the goods, and they were using the goods interest-free. Um, and, uh, but as the story unfolds, we get a little glimpse as to the heart of the steward. So the steward was found out that he was wasting his master's goods, and he was going to be fired. In fact, he was told, you're out of here. And as a one last ditch effort, what does he do? He picks up his cell phone and he calls the guys that owe the master money. And they say, hey, listen, how much do you owe my master? What, you don't even know this? You've sent him the goods and you don't even know? He says, well, we owe a hundred measures of oil. Well, I did a little research on that. And uh, this guy has a trick up his sleeve. In fact, before I even get there, I want to just say this. Here's what he's wrestling with in his heart. He says this. I can't dig. If I'm getting fired, I need to do something to prepare for my future. I need a job. I need to have an income. And if I'm going to lose the free room and board I have, and if I'm going to lose the salary that I've been getting and the perks that I've been taking uh, from my master, if I'm going to lose all of that, I need something after I leave here. So when I leave the compound here, when I exit the master's property, I want a welcoming committee on the other side of that gate, right? I mean, it makes sense. That's what he wants to do. And so he said, but the problem is, I can't dig. Why can't you dig? Well, he's probably had a very cushy job. And uh, he's become, you know, fat and happy. And, uh, or he's just too old. And he just doesn't have the strength to do it anymore. He says, I can't do a job like that. I'm not going to lower myself to menial work and, and work that way because I can't. Physically, I just can't do it. And besides that, he said, I could go out and beg, but I'm too embarrassed to do that. People know me in town. You're not going to see me out at the, at the street corner with a sign that says, we'll work for food, because I won't do that. I'm just too embarrassed to do that. I'm not going to be a panhandler. I'm not going to be sitting there with my hand out. I can't do that. I'm too embarrassed. But I still, need, I still need money. I still need income. I still need something to, to support me, to carry me through. Ah, I know what I'll do. I'm going to write to, or I'm going to uh, talk to my master's creditors and I'm going to make them my friends. They're going to owe me. 
and they're going to owe me big time. And so the cell phone calls up the first guy, says, all right, look, you owe 100 measures of oil, right? Yeah, okay. Here's what you do. Take your bill, cross out the, the, what you owe, and uh, write 50% off. <sighs> okay. I mean, can you imagine? You've just purchased 100 measures. How much is 100 measures of oil, by the way? little research here. 100 measures of olive oil is equal to about 800 gallons of oil. That's a lot. That's more of the oil than I could use probably in a lifetime. Um, through Amazon, he looked it up. And today, you can buy a gallon of pretty good olive oil. It's not the best, but it's, it's a decent average for $26.99 a gallon. 20, on Amazon, free shipping too, by the way. So now, go out and buy 800 gallons of this oil. And what does that amount to? Quick with math, anybody? Roughly $22,000, just a little under $22,000. That's a sizable chunk of change. And he says, okay, you owe $22,000, right? Yeah. Write 50% off. $11,000, that's all I owe? Yeah. Write it down now, quick. Now, in his mind, what is he thinking? Listen, buddy. You're going to owe me big time. When I'm out of here, you're going to owe me a job. Look what I did for you, right? That's how he's thinking. Next guy he goes to, he picks up the phone and he calls the next guy and he says, hey, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. That's equivalent, by the way, to 1,000 bushels of wheat. It's maybe even up to 1,200. But let's just take the conservative number of 1,000 bushels of wheat. You know those laundry baskets, those small square ones? That's about a bushel um, uh, size. And you fill that with wheat a thousand times. How much is that? Current uh, market price for wheat, it would be about $10,000. $10,000. He says, 20% off, man, today. Today only, pay your bill, 20% off that bill. All right? $8,000, it's all you owe, you're done. Wow, yeah, sure, 8000 write a check, here you go. You see what the steward is doing? He's rewarding these debtors. And there's an unspoken language being uh, stated here that they are going to owe him a favor. And that favor, he's going to call on that when he leaves the compound. And you know, people go through life doing things just like this steward. They do kindnesses for people and they go, yeah, but they're, they're going to owe me. They're not really doing it because they love the person or they want to give it to the person. They go, you know what, I'm, I'm keeping a mental uh, record here of what you owe me for what I did to you. I'm going to pull on that someday. Don't forget it. That's what he's doing here. So, favors. He was shrewd because he planned for his future. Soon he was going to be out on the street. And now he has two potential employers. But if you look at the passage, it says that he called all of his master's creditors. I don't know how many he had, but man, he, he sure made sure that somebody out there was going to owe him or, or uh, give him a job when he left uh, his employment here. Big time. Now, this is the strange part of the story that causes so many people such trouble. The owner, and by implication Jesus, because he's telling the story, praises the unjust steward. He praises him for what he did. Well, <laughs> that's simply wrong. 
I mean, it's just simply wrong what the guy did. It wasn't his money to begin with. It wasn't his. He was stealing, really, from his master in order to benefit himself. Wow, that's just wrong. But if you look carefully, Jesus is not praising him for his dishonesty, but for being shrewd. What does that mean? It means that this guy was wise enough to think about his future that he made plans for his future. Now, it's short distance between getting fired and walking out of the gates of the compound and getting a new job. It It was a really close future, but he planned for it. And that's what Jesus praised him for because of his shrewdness that he thought and planned for his future. Are you thinking about your future? Are you planning for your future as believers? We're not talking about retirement here. Your future as believers has nothing to do with the here and now. Your future is in heaven. Are you planning? Are you preparing for your future? Not just being there, but being profitable in heaven. We're going to talk about that. All right. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 8, last part of verse 8, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now, again, the Lord is not recommending dishonesty. He's saying that even the unsaved man has enough sense to plan for his future. His future, as I said, was immediate. And as soon as he packed his bags or his, his office up and he took his, his uh, cardboard boxes out past the gate of the compound, he was going to walk right into the employment, into the arms of a, a welcoming committee. That's really what it was going to be. Wise planning. Wow. And so the Lord takes um, an unjust man and he takes a, kind of a bad illustration, as it were, And he says, here's the good that you can learn from this man. Think about your future. Believers, he says, look, even the unsaved have enough sense to think about their future. How about you? Are you thinking about your future? But in saying this, he's also saying that the sons of light aren't so shrewd. Ouch. That's us, the sons of light. We're not so shrewd. We're not as shrewd as the unsaved. What does he mean by that? Well, let's look at the story again. The certain rich man, who is this? God. He owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world in all that it contains. He owns it all. He is the rich, the certain rich man that is in this uh, parable. Who's the steward? Ouch. It's us. It's us. The story is told to his disciples. Next week's story is going to be told to a different group of men. You always have to look at the context. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his followers. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. And so as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are stewards So you have this rich man, God, who owns everything. And he's an absentee owner in a way. He's off in another country. We call it heaven. 
And he's left us here on earth as stewards of all that he has and all that he owns. Everything. And so as we get that $2 million in our lifetime, it's not ours. It's his. So what are we doing with it? Are we being faithful as stewards? Or are we living in riotous living, wasting his goods? How are we handling our stewardship of the Lord's resources? Do we have thought about the future? Or do we simply live to eat, drink, and be merry? Are we any different? Is, one, is, is one's life just endless parties or endless entertainment? Or are we living really as faithful stewards for the Lord? We are simply stewards of Him. Again, I go back to that verse. It is required of stewards that one be found faithful. We should be making a profit for our Master. We should be investing the things that He has entrusted to us, the money. Really, the whole passage has to do with money. We should be investing the money that He has entrusted to us in spiritual things that will result in a profit for our Master. That's what a steward would do. Well, we're going to think back about something. Think back to a sermon four weeks ago when Jesus sent out an invitation to all to come to Him, to follow Him. And we said, remember the letters up here, RSVP. Come, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come, the dinner is ready. Come, all of you, come to the Lord. That was the, the sermon four weeks ago. And then he, and he encouraged his disciples. They said, well, look, we've already told everybody about it. The invitations have all gone out. And, he says, and they said, still there is room. And he says, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Why? Because that's what's on the heart of God. God is in the people business. You know that, right? He is in the people business. He's not concerned about his funds. He's concerned about people. But if he gives us funds to, to work with, He wants us to use it for the thing that's on His heart. That's for people. Reaching out, winning them, inviting them, telling them to come uh, to Himself. He encouraged them to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Marion, I'm going to embarrass you. Where are you? There you are. And Michael, I'm going to embarrass you too, went out this past Friday. And uh, that's what they were doing. They were going out to share the love of God with homeless people. And they went looking under uh, freeway overpasses and under cardboard tents or wherever they could find people uh, who, were, who were homeless to share with them some food and to share with them the love of, of God. Come, compel them, compel them to come. Three weeks ago, we heard the word of the Lord Jesus who said, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And it's a clarion call to live sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. And then, over the last two weeks, we looked at chapter 15. And we see, once again, these are wonderful stories. It's a story of a lost sheep. And it's a story of a lost coin. And it's a story of a lost son, a prodigal son who left his father and wandered away. Those are interesting stories, but there's a point to them. 
the point to them is that every one of them, the two that lost something, swept their houses, looked as hard as they could until they found that lost sheep or found that lost coin. It shows the heart of God reaching out to people who are lost. And the prodigal, as the father watched daily, waiting and watching for that son to return. That's the heart of God uh, for people. And when each one is found, there is great rejoicing. In fact, it says that in heaven, there is rejoicing among the angels when one sinner repents. That's the heart of God. Time for a celebration. Well, he's the certain rich man. And he doesn't want to take a loss of souls because of our poor stewardship. He wants us to be faithful stewards. Our focus then should be on winning the loss, no matter what the cost, no matter what the personal cost uh, to us. Well, finally, we come to the matter of planning for our future. Just like the unfaithful steward planned for his immediate future, we need to plan for our future too. The Lord is coming soon. Our future is not on earth, but it's in heaven. And I want you to have a welcoming committee, just like he, when he left the compound, would have a welcoming committee of open arms saying, yeah, come work for me. I'm not sure I would hire a guy like that, but they owed him one. I want you to have a welcoming committee meeting you in heaven and saying, you know what? You're the reason I'm here. You're the reason I'm here. You know that sacrifice that you made? You know that dollar that you gave? You know that tract that you gave me? You know, you said something in passing, and I understood the gospel for the first time, and I believe the Lord. You're the reason I'm here. I want you to have a welcoming committee so that when you enter into heaven, they will welcome you there. It says that in this passage, actually. Jesus said in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, or it fails, there's a question of whether it's an it or a you there, when it fails or when you fail, you may receive you into an everlasting home. And so Jesus is telling us here, look, I've given you the resources you need. And I'm going to allow you to use unrighteous mammon, that's money, I'm going to allow you to use unrighteous mammon so that you can make friends for yourself. So that when you die, or when money is no longer any value, they, those friends that you made who are now in heaven, may receive you into everlasting habitation. That's what he's talking about here. These are the friends that you witness to who died before you and welcome you into heaven. Paul, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me here. Gary, thank you for telling me about the Lord. Howard, thanks for sharing that gospel track with me. Lita, thanks for teaching me Sunday school. You know? Welcoming committee. Because you acted shrewdly in using money wisely. You purchased tracts. You purchased gospel literature. You used your money to support missionaries, teaching new tribes or ancient cities. You invested in the work of the Lord, in the translation of Bibles, so that people would have Bibles in their own language, and Christian literature, or CDs, or digital messages, or tweets, or whatever. Whatever you use, and however you use it. You know, we have 
the opportunity to witness and to communicate with people more now than ever before. Are you using it for the gospel and for the Lord's sake? You shared of your time and your life, just as some of you have done here. And the sacrifices that you have made by the saints so that the unsaved can hear the gospel message is what he's talking about here. They believe that that is really what is on the heart of a certain rich man, God. That's what is on his heart. People. People. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. That's what's on his heart. All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I want to test your stewardship this morning. And I have a way of doing this. And I've done it before. Um, Some of you may remember, but I'm going to do it again this morning. I'm going to test your stewardship. I want you to make money and to make friends with that money using unrighteous mammon to win souls for the Lord. You say, what about that $2 million? Well, I'll start you off with one today. Not one million, just one. One dollar. Okay? And I'm going to ask uh, Sam and Matt. I have a little bundle here. I asked for crisp ones, but they gave me filthy lucre. Unrighteous mammon. And I want you to give one to each person here. I'll keep one myself. This is yours as a steward of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to take it this morning and I want you to invest it. Not in the stock market. Okay? And you say, well, what good will a dollar do? What can I possibly do with a dollar? I remember one time I did this and a young lady came up to me after the meeting several weeks later and she says, I want to tell you what I did with that dollar. I said, what did you do? She says, I I racked my brain. And I I thought, what can I possibly buy with a dollar that will have any effect on anybody? And she says, I was out shopping at the um, farmer's market, and I saw some pumpkins. And I bought some pumpkins with my dollar. And I'm confused. I go, okay, what, do you throw pumpkins at people or what, you know? And she says, I took those pumpkins and I made pumpkin pie. And then I went to the flea market and I sold that pumpkin pie and I made more dollars. And I used those dollars to buy gospel literature so that I could give out to my friends who um, don't know the Lord. And she said, that's how I use my dollar. Now, you don't all have to tell me how you use your dollar, but it'd be interesting to know how the Lord leads you. And I want you to pray about it. Ask the Lord how he would have you use one dollar to make a friend for yourself that they might receive you into everlasting habitation. That's what it talks about in the scripture. You say, well, what can I do with a dollar? Well, I'll say this to you. If you're faithful with that which is least, you'll be faithful with that which is much. And I would probably say this, this to you as well, that whatever you do with this dollar is probably what you, you would do with a million dollars. 
or $2 million or however many million there are. Because what we, what we do with this really is a reflection of where our heart is, what really counts to us, what, what is really valuable uh, to us. Jesus said he is faithful in that which is least. He's talking about money. He's saying if you are faithful with money, that which is least, you'll be faithful uh, in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, again, this doesn't belong to us. Who will give you what is your own? And so there's a little clue here in this parable that God has something amazing in store for us in heaven. It's called true riches. And he says, if you're faithful in that which is least money, I'll give you that which is greatest. I'll give you that which is of real value. Okay, So we are preparing right now here on earth for what's going to take place in heaven, in our reward in heaven. You know that? True riches do not have pictures of dead presidents on them. True riches have the image of God imprinted on them. Who was made in the image of God? People were. And there are people you have reached and pointed to the Savior. If we can't be trusted with money that corrupts and that fades away, that is a false God to so many, how can we be trusted with eternal riches, eternal treasures that are waiting for us? For Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. I told you this story before. Some of you remember it. Many, many years ago, um, there was a missionary who was serving in Barbados, and he came to the city of Vancouver. And he met a young lady out for a walk with her two sons one day. And he handed her a tract. That tract probably cost him in those days less than a penny. You can buy tracts today for a few pennies. He invited her to come out to church and eventually she sent her boys to Sunday school. One of the boys was named Bob and he heard the gospel message and he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Soon the young lady that was the mother found herself coming out to church as well. And not too long after that, she got saved. That lady was my great-grandmother. Uh, Bob was my grandfather. And I think about generations that have come and gone uh, since that time. And Bob, my grandfather, I knew him until I, he died when I was thir- 12 or 13, I forget. But I remember him. He had a uh, bindery, a book bindery. And he used that business as an opportunity to reach out to the community with the gospel. And he would go out and he would um, witness during the lunch hour. He um, was an elder in one of the assemblies. He witnessed to people. He... Um, was uh, involved in Christian camps, saw a number of young uh, people come to know the Lord. My mother came to know the Lord. 
She and my father, as you know, have been heavily involved in reaching out to prisons, people in prisons for years, uh, three decades or more. And uh, they have seen many people come to know the Lord. And they've been involved in camps and other outreach in, in various ways. And the Lord has saved all four of their children, including me. And uh, the Lord has allowed us to witness as well. And the Lord has saved most of my children as well. And I think of the generations that have come to know the Lord. And some of you here, through our witnessing, have come to know the Lord as well. And really, that missionary who came to Vancouver from Barbados, who handed out a two-cent tract, what a heritage he has. Not just my great-grandmother and my grandfather and my mother and me and my sisters and my family, but some of you too. You know that you're part of that legacy, of that person who said, you know what, it's worth taking a dollar and buying a few tracts and giving them out to strangers on the street and asking the Lord to make friends for me of unrighteous mammon, with unrighteous mammon that I might have a welcoming committee when I get to heaven. And that's what he did. And you can too. Now imagine what an entrance. What a welcoming committee this man will have when he arrives in heaven. And generations of believers, including some from this audience, will be there to say, thank you. <laughs> thank you for welcoming me here. How many will you point to? Well, what about that million or two million dollars? Get started with the one. If you need more, God will give it to you. He's no man's debtor. He's not, he's not stingy. He'll give you enough. If you have the heart to reach out, He will give you more to reach out with. Okay? We're going to play a song as a uh, closing hymn. And I want you to listen to the words of it. It's a, it's a make-belief story of somebody who... I had a dream and I went to heaven. And this is what happened when I got there. And then after it's over, I'll uh, come back up and we'll pray. Crystal sea. We heard this angel singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. He said, Friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, But wait. My Sunday school when I was only eight, and every week he would say a prayer before the class would start. 
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for those who recognize that they are stewards and have been faithful in their stewardship uh, to you. And we pray that they would continue on faithful stewards and that they would have a welcoming committee waiting for them in heaven as they come. Lord, I pray, too, that you might use us this day with this dollar and use it for your glory, that there might be some who would hear the gospel and be saved. And, Lord, we pray that it might change us and cause us, Lord, to have a life lived out of faithful stewardship to you, that we might use unrighteous money for the grand and glorious purpose of reaching the lost and winning them to the Savior who loved them and gave himself for them. We pray, Lord, for your blessing. We pray pray for fruit that remains. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.